starting a brand new book. I mean, it's not a brand new book, but it's a new series. <laughs> the Book of Colossians. Uh, and I talked uh, two weeks ago on the book of Philemon. Um, and they're complementary books because Paul writes them at the same time. Okay, so he, he writes a letter to Philemon and then he writes the letter to the Colossians. Um, we're we're going to walk through this passage verse by, uh, verse, by verse. Uh, sorry, we're going to walk through this book verse by verse. And um, there are studies that are available for our um, connect groups to walk along with it as well. Uh, 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from our God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father, sorry, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring up from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it's been doing among you the day you heard it and understood it. God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray that in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, And may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God and being strengthened um, with all power according to his glorious might, that you may have a great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Paul's writing this letter in a prison in Rome, about AD 60, more than likely he is going to be sentenced to death and... He's penning these incredibly encouraging pastoral letters to these churches. We talked two weeks ago about Philemon. And this time he's writing a letter to a church in Colossae that he did not plant. In fact, it was more than likely Epaphras, the one who planted. But there's a, there's a weird thing going on in Colossae. There's this kind of weird esoteric Jewish mysticism um, is that you have uh, ascetic Jews um, who have been influenced by the mystic temples in the area and have tried to synthesize a weird crossover Jewish type religion who have also come into a knowledge of Christ 
then are trying to ratify all three of the religions into one. And it's not good. And so Paul eventually will rebuke this and talk about that you don't need to worry necessarily about days and practices and rituals, but it's about a love of Jesus. And so here is a man who is in prison on his way to death, speaking to a church that he did not plant. Um, and what he does is a really short introduction. If you, know, if you look at the introduction of Philemon compared to the introduction of Colossians, um, Philemon is much longer. This one's a really simple one. Just says, hey, I'm an apostle of Christ. Why do you say that? Because I need you to know that I speak with authority. Not only that, Timothy, my brother here, is co-writing to you. So when we talk we, you can think Timothy. What I'm saying is very important. And this is what you need to know about the church, verses 4 and 5. Because you have heard, sorry, because we, me and Timothy, have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring up from hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel. Paul makes this like an essential theme for Christians. Pistis, Agape, and Elpis. Um, They are the three new princesses in Frozen 3. No, they're not. (laughs) Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. Time and again, faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. Um, Paul does this constantly. Uh, Romans 15, 6, 2 Corinthians 1, 3, again, 2 Corinthians eleven thirty one 31, Ephesians 1, 3 and 17, faith, hope and love, faith, hope and love, faith, hope and love. Faith, hope and love are the present factors of a community that is surrendered before the word of truth the gospel. These are the markers whereby a church is healthy and good. Faith, hope, and love. The thing that Paul is going to battle is this idea of ritualizing practices rather than staying conceptual. So let's institutionalize something because it worked one time and make it the, the thing forever. Paul is saying, stop. It is about faith, hope, and love. He does not prescribe a list of things to do. Because we have heard about your faith. What does that look like? Paul doesn't answer. And the love that you have for all the saints, what does that look like? He doesn't answer. The faith and hope that spring up from a hope that is stored up for you in heaven, what does that look like? He doesn't answer. And the truth is, is that for different communities in different places, the outworking of this faith, hope, and love that we have in Christ Jesus, firmly planted in the word of truth, the gospel, 
emerges differently in different places. It's one of the things that you know, modern theologians talk about is contextualization. How do we take something that's you know, 2,000 years old and connect it with culture? Okay? It's a terrible explanation of contextualization, I know, but I'm not a theologian. Is that the, the, the outworking of our faith with Jesus requires us to take what we understand here and connect it to day-to-day life. I'm, 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 you know, short term right now, I'm employed by you to be full-time Jesus carrier, right? Which means I spend a lot of time here. You're not. <laughs> you are outworking various different jobs. And really, my job is to help you contextualize what happens in this room so that you feel like you can apply it day to day, hour to hour in the jobs that you work. Which means it looks very different for Libbing to Martin to Carol to Jeanette and Anthony. My job is to equip you To go out and share this good news. And my hope is that you are demonstrating it with faith, hope, and love. Think about faith, hope, and love like a car. Faith is the vehicle. It's the engine. It's the wheels. It's the axles. It's the thing that propels us forward. You can't go for a drive in a car without a car. We need faith. It's an essential component of the car. But the truth is, engines, wheels and axles aren't really an attractive thing to ride upon. Which is why you need a car interior. Which is love. There are Beautiful and wonderful cars to ride in. Yeah, sometimes Italians make cars that just make you want to sit in them all the time, filled with love. Love is the interior. Love is the experience of our faith that is propelling us forward. Likewise, we can't just have a gorgeous interior if it wasn't sitting on an engine and wheels and axles. Otherwise, we'd have ourselves a terrible-looking home. I mean, no one says, I just want the interior without the machinery. Hope is the destination. Hope is the place that we want to take the vehicle and the interior to. I am, there's no wood in here, but touch wood. Finally going to celebrate my 40th birthday next week. My wife and I, we are going to Bannisters. Uh, We booked it in 26 months ago. 
The first time we couldn't do it because COVID put us in lockdown. Literally one day before I was meant to go on this trip. So then we moved it to this March, which is when we had insane floods. So if I find out on a Tuesday that the mice have moved into Sydney, I'm cancelling my 40th birthday because I'm clearly signalling the apocalypse. But there's a destination. Bannisters. And so I look forward to climbing into my car, which has a really nice interior, and driving with an engine that works and wheels that are healthy to a destination. And you see, this is where a church is functional. As we go, we've got a really good destination, heaven. The hope that is stored up for you in heaven. And that love that you have on display for all of saints means that this, this experience of church is attractive and inviting and wonderful. And the thing that gives it meat and bones and power, horsepower, the engine that drives it is our faith. We need a working motor, something that propels us and runs us forward. What is that experience? What is that level of comfort and wonder that people experience when they come into contact with you? Do you live in a way that know, you know the destination is, is better by far than our present location? If so... You are demonstrating the qualities of a healthy church. Faith, hope, and love. Verses 6 and 7. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood it. God's grace in all its truth. You learn it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And in this faith, hope, and love, you are bearing fruit and growing. You are bearing fruit and growing. There is no perfect church. The Colossians have problems. He's going to get to the problems. Paul always constructs a uh, positivity sandwich. You know, there's positivity at the start, the criticism's in the middle, there's positivity at the end, with the exception of the Galatians. He's got no time for the Galatians. He just launches into the litany of problems and says, sort it out. It's the only time he doesn't make this positivity sandwich. But churches everywhere, they they have issues. We, we, we can't construct in any way, shape, or form um, the perfect church. It's just not possible. And the reason we can't construct the perfect church is because of us. We're imperfect people. Surrendered before God, trying to get better, but it just means that we are going to have a broken church. Um, one of the books... And I still don't think um, Carol's recovered from me sharing this with her. So apologies, Carol. But one of the books we're going to do after this is Hosea. 
Um, and the reason we're doing Hosea is because it actually gives a representation of what Christ does when they marry, when Christ marries the church. Does anyone know the book of Hosea? What happens in Hosea? And just quick. Yeah, right. Mary Goma, the prostitute. Yeah. Who's Jesus? Who's Jesus' bride? You see the un- uncomfortable thing that you're starting to, that I, I explained to Carol? The church in the story of Hosea is the prostitute. Um, now, we, we want the church. Everyone in here will probably say amen. We want the church to be a glorious, pure bride of Christ, yeah? In white robes. But the truth of what God says is that the church is more like a prostitute in need of redemption. We got a little uncomfortable in our chairs then, didn't we? The good thing is, there's hope. Because Jesus can make unholy things holy, can't he? Jesus can make impure things pure. And so without the presence of Jesus, we could remain a prostitute. But with the presence of Jesus, we have a hope to be pure and holy. We'll get to that and That's like seven weeks away. Um, with the presence of faith, hope and love and an active gospel and an evidence transformation of people bearing fruit and growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, this is the healthy church. Does Paul indicate how they grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Does he prescribe a program? Is there an eight-week Bible knowledge growth program that Paul puts in this book? No, because it changes church to church and community to community. Does he prescribe what it looks like to bear fruit? Well, actually, he kind of does. It's an indicator through faith, hope, and love. But his point here is we're not trying to institutionalize a practice. We are trying to be a holy and active community, living out faith, hope, and love, bearing fruit, and growing in knowledge. And this is the problem that he's dealing with, is that this uh, esoteric mysticism, and this is the really fascinating thing, an esoteric mysticism is like, um, how do we put into place like institutional structures? You should do this, followed by this, a step-by-step program, right? And these are the things that must happen, and you shouldn't eat this, but you should eat this, and this day is holy, and this day isn't holy, and you should stare at a sun at a 45-degree angle, and if you turn your back westward on the fourth day, then you will find yourself more holy, right? This is the weird stuff that's going on. It's like prescriptive holiness. is like, we're not about it. It's not the point. Is this community demonstrating faith, hope, and love through the gospel, growing in knowledge of Jesus and bearing fruit, that's what's important. And so he pushes back on them. 
goes on uh, verse 13 and 14. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us in to the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. The reason you do this and you set all of this up is to come back to that first encounter with Jesus. What was it like for you when you first experienced a relationship with God? Is that more than likely because you were the product of bearing fruit, okay? This idea of bearing fruit. Sometime, somewhere, in some place, you had a conversion experience where you were the fruit of an active, transforming, living gospel in a community of people who were demonstrating faith, hope, and love. Do you remember that? Because that was the moment that you were rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son who loves you. You were fruit one time. You have had this experience where you were present... In a community, demonstrating faith, hope, and love, probably not planted by Epaphras for us. Think on that day. Do this in two minutes or less. This is the radio in me. I see the timer and I know exactly. I've got two minutes, right? Then we've got to get to the top of our news. Um, I was in grade nine and I'm sitting uh, in a field uh, down south. It's a hot summer's day and we've just had a cow pat fight. We went into this um, farm where cows had been and they had dried up just enough that you could throw them like frisbees. And I was in year nine, I was just covered head to toe in cow poo. Um, and the reason we're sitting out there is that the leaders had to get back to tee up the hoses to hose us down because we were all so grotty. Um, and what was shared with me was Psalm 133, how great and pleasant is it when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. It's as if uh, the dew of Mount Zion was, no, yeah, falling on Mount Hermon. There the Lord bestows his blessing and life evermore. And it was explained to me that fellowship is like a slice of heaven. It's like a doorway has been cracked open to heaven and you experience the love of God through this community of believers around you. And in that moment, a dead heart came to life and I fell in love with Jesus. And that was the moment that I, for the first time, became fruit. I was alive. And it's a weird narrative, I know. It's covered in poo. But there was a presence of faith, hope, and love. And from that moment forward, and I'm a reluctant follower of Jesus, so it took a long way to educate me in how to do it right. And I'm still not even close to being there. But that was the moment. Now, I could say 
that the way that we make new believers is to take you out into a farm field and have a cowpat fight and then read to you Psalm 133 because that was the thing that led me to Jesus. So it must be the only way that we could experience Jesus. And you would say to me, you are a lunatic and you probably shouldn't lead this thing, right? Your experience is really different. But the challenge we have as we go on this journey is we start to fall in love with certain rituals that the church does and we want to institutionalize them as best practice. The best songs to sing from the front are hymns from the original hymn book because they are the most godly. Am I not doing the exact same thing about saying we should leave people to Jesus by taking them out into farmers' yards and throwing cow poo on them? By saying that? The only Bible that we should read from is the King James Bible. Bearing in mind that King James actually had that book written for him so he could gloat that he has a book written about him. Read up on the history of the King James Bible. It's not particularly good or encouraging. Very arrogant king. But what came out of it, why? Because God redeems broken things was a really good book, wasn't it? That was the funny thing. This is why Paul is doing this. Because your first experience of Jesus, you weren't thinking about institutional practices. I'm telling you right now, is you felt the presence of an overwhelming love from a creator who you met face to face for the first time. And you were like, wow, this is what I need. You weren't thinking whether or not we should drink out of a big cup or a little cup for communion and whether or not we need to wipe the rim or... Should the chairs be pews or should they be padded or how should they be formed and how many lights are we using and how many guitarists should be up the front? You weren't thinking about that. You experienced faith, you experienced hope, and you experienced love for the first time and in that moment you grew in your love and understanding of Jesus and you were transformed. And that's why Paul lands here. Church, as frustrating as this sounds, is going to change generation to generation. I preached at youth group two months ago. I was like, can I just say I was a youth pastor for 15 years? That season has sailed. I walked into the room and I gave what I thought was one of my best youth talks. It was a garbage fire. It was terrible. You look around the room and you're like, I have lost connection with these people. Why? Because I could be your dad. And you are a natural dork. And I was like, it's, the window's gone. I just don't feel that connection with youth. 
Now, I think they're incredibly important. That's why we employ people like Austin, who probably is young enough that I could be your dad as well, man. I don't know. I'm getting so old so quick these days. I don't know. But he does an amazing job, and he gets the connection, and he understands the kids. And this is the journey that we're on, right? Like I could just prescribe youth group from 1994, and I say, man, that was the thing that led me to Christ. Why aren't you doing that? In Christ alone, my hope is found. I mean, that was a new worship song, I think, in 94. May not be. Maybe 1894. I don't know. Is it that old? Is that okay? Yeah, so it was like brand new. I was like, man, this is a banger. Pump it up. Christ alone. Uh, We can't do that. Paul wants to keep it conceptual. And that's frustrating because it means we've got, to, we've got to work ourselves to figure out that expression of faith, hope, and love in a way that connects to this community. It's not prescriptive. It doesn't require institutionalization of ritual practices. But it asks us the question day in and day out, how am I demonstrating faith, hope, and love to this community? And am I growing and am I bearing fruit? Because if I'm not doing any of those five things, then I'm probably not a healthy church, I'm probably not a healthy Christian, and I'm probably not moving forward. The car is busted somewhere. Figure it out. And that's where I got back to that idea. Is it the engine? Maybe my faith is wavering. Is it the experience? Maybe I'm not demonstrating love. Or have I forgot where I'm driving? Heavenward. I'm just circling around. That's my encouragement for us this week. Think about it in terms of your car. How's your car going? Your faith, hope, and love. Where does it need a tune-up? Where does it need a correction? And are you bearing fruit and are you growing in the knowledge of Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, we just surrender our hearts before you. We thank you for the words of Paul. Where our faith is weak, make us strong. Where we've forgotten about our destination, remind us of the joys of heaven. And where we are lacking in love, fill us up so that we might be abundantly living a life of love. We thank you for your words, Lord. Amen.